I'm going to ask um, James to come and give us our reading, which is Luke 7, uh, verses 36 to 50. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of a woman she is, and that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, who, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then when he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put uh, oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, if you have them. Uh, we're uh, working on this. We're going to try and get people to bring their Bibles to church more and more. We use the NIV uh, version. Uh, some, some, someone said to me the other week, well, I can't read the Bible and focus on what's being said at the same time. If that's you, that, that, that's fine as well. Uh, but overall, we want to try and encourage people uh, to, to bring their Bibles along, to, to follow in their Bibles, to annotate if, if, uh, if that's helpful. Um, we we want to sort of encourage that a bit more. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, open them. I'll give you a moment to do that. So Luke 7, 36 to 50. Uh, as you will know, or most people know, I, I used to work... Uh, with Alpha at Holy Trinity Brompton in London. And uh, each year they used to have something called International Week, uh, where they'd invite delegates from all over the world to come to the church and learn about Alpha and then take it back to their respective countries. And um, during that week, the delegates would always have uh, an afternoon off to um, to, to go sightseeing and uh, see a bit of London. And I always used to enjoy taking the delegates on a bit of a tour, showing them the sights, 
And one year, um, I had uh, three Peruvian bishops uh, who I, I was showing around. Actually, I've looked at the um, photos recently, and I, I thought, were they, were they bishops or priests? I wasn't quite sure, but uh, I'm going to go with bishops. It sounds better. Um, and I was taking them from Oxford Street to uh, the London Eye via Chinatown, uh, which meant going through an area called Soho. And Soho has a, a lot of bars and live music and entertainment, uh, but it's also quite well known for sex workers and strip clubs uh, and that kind of thing. But it's not normally too uh, obvious or in your face during the day. So I thought, well, I could just sort of cut through the out outskirts of this area and, um, and, and get through to where we're going. Um, anyway, uh, there were uh, a few establishments along the way that had uh, women in the doorways who were trying to entice those who were passing by into their establishments. And uh, these three bishops who, you know, I'm not comparing them to the Pharisees by any means. They were really good guys. They were godly men. Um, but it was obvious that they felt really uncomfortable with this. Um, and with hindsight, I would have taken them round. Um, I hope Nicky Gumbel never hears this sermon. I don't think he will, but uh, he'd be like, well, what, what were you doing taking our delegates in that direction? Um, but the, the bishops, they, they didn't know where to look, and they didn't know seem to know whether or not to engage in conversation. Because obviously, if someone speaks to you, um, it's rude to ignore them. Uh, but I think they didn't really, you know, they looked like bishops. They were dressed as bishops. I don't think they felt too comfortable, um, you know, talking with sex workers. Uh, I mean, what if someone took a photo? It would look pretty bad, wouldn't it? You can imagine the headlines. Uh, Peruvian bishops at church con- uh, conference spend time with sex workers. There was the possibility of there being a real scandal. Jesus didn't care about that sort of thing. Jesus really didn't care if people were scandalized by his words and his actions. He was constantly criticized for spending his time with prostitutes and tax collectors and those who would have been considered the worst of sinners. But his heart was pure, his motives were righteous, his love was limitless, and he wasn't ruffled by the accusations that would be spat at him. And that's the kind of scenario that we're looking at today. So Jesus had been invited to the home of uh, Simon the Pharisee, and some of the Pharisees were more moderate and may have been willing to at least give Jesus uh, a hearing. And it could be that this was the case uh, with Simon, because if he was completely opposed to Jesus, it's unlikely that he would have invited him to his home. Uh, So we don't know for sure, but Simon could have been testing the water to see if Jesus uh, really was some kind of prophet. Uh, But it has to be said that he wasn't particularly respectful towards Jesus, and he certainly didn't treat him as an honored guest, and we'll uh, come to that in in a short while. So they're at Simon's house, uh, probably lying on low reclining benches, propping themselves up with their uh, left arms. All the benches would face inwards, and uh, there would be food laid out in the middle. They'd use a right hand to to eat the food that was 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 laid out. And I think you'll agree that it's a much more intimate setting um, than just sitting around a table as we would do. Uh, now, it's probably also worth mentioning that the kind of private life that we have in the modern modern West. 
uh, was largely unheard of in Jesus's day. So in Springfield, we arrive home, uh, we click the remote on our garage, we drive up into the garage, we go into the house, we lock the door, and uh, we enjoy the privacy of our own home without necessarily expecting any uh, dis- disturbances or um, interruptions. Uh, in Jesus' day, neighbors and villagers would have been uh, in and out of each other's houses, doors would be left open, uh, friends, beggars, uh, curious passers-by could wander into your courtyard, which was right at the center of your home. Uh, it was a much more open and less private society. Um, and, and still, in, in cultures around the world, uh, we see that. Um, I, I've experienced it in Mongolia, where they live in those little round uh, white gur tents with the, with the wooden doors. And in Mongolia, if you go on a horseback journey and you arrive at somebody's gur tent, you just walk straight in unannounced without knocking. Uh, it seems very strange to us to just walk into someone's home. They're not expecting you. You're just there all of a sudden in their very small home. Um, to knock would be considered an absolute insult. It'd be like you're casting uh, doubt over the family's hospitality and indeed their respectability. And it was the same sort of thing in first century Jewish culture. People would come and they'd go uninvited. Uh, so I think understanding the culture a little better can, can help us to uh, picture this scene more vividly. So there's Simon the Pharisee and Jesus and other notable guests, all of whom were no doubt uh, respected members of the community. They're lying down, they're eating, they're all facing inwards. When the meal was interrupted by a woman who was known, uh, very well known locally as a sinner and almost certainly a prostitute. What a horrible scene for that woman to walk in on. What a, what a horribly intimidating scene that would be. All the guests would have been men of high standing and influence, uh, so-called pillars of the community. And when this woman was noticed, and we don't know how long she stood there before she was noticed, uh, she would have been met with disapproving scowls and contemptuous looks from everyone in the room. Everyone, of course, except Jesus. Uh, She had come with the intention of anointing Jesus for the love and the mercy and the forgiveness that he had shown her. Uh, That's why she was carrying the alabaster jar of perfume. Um, What a brave woman and what a beautiful thing she had come to do. So she walks in. She goes up behind Jesus. She's overcome with emotion. She, she, she's uh, crying. The tears are falling onto Jesus's feet. So she goes down on her knees. She uh, lets down her hair and she uses it to wipe the tears from Jesus's feet. Um, by the way, in that culture, for a woman to let down her hair in public, was considered completely indecent. Uh, women would only ever let down their hair in front of their husbands. Um, th- this would be like literally coming to church, you know, half naked or something. It, it, it was a big deal. So Simon and uh, the, the Pharisee and his guests uh, would have been shocked and disgusted by this spectacle. And from their point of view, it got worse because she then proceeded to kiss Jesus' feet and pour perfume on them. And Simon, uh, as I said before, he'd probably invited Jesus uh, to, to find out whether he really was uh, some sort of prophet. Well, he made up his mind 
Immediately, as soon as he saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. He's thinking, what kind of prophet is this? He's a joke. He can't even recognize a prostitute when she's fawning and doting all over him. You see, for the Pharisee, this woman, this woman's whole identity was bound up with what she had done in the past. And there was nothing she could do to change her past. She was a sinner. She would always be treated as such. There was no redemption. There was no coming back from this. Well, the Pharisee was right about one thing. There was nothing that this woman could do about her past. But there was something that she could do about her future. She could put her hope and her trust in Jesus, and she did. So really, I think it's more accurate to say that there was something that Jesus could do about her future. You see, the formal religion of the Pharisees, and in fact all other world religions, uh, couldn't deal with the problem of sin. So they could only respond with disapproval and condemnation. But Jesus could do away with sin by taking it upon himself. Jesus took sin down to the grave and he left it there. And yes, what Jesus did on the cross, his death and, and resurrection impacts not just those who came after those events, but also those who came before, including um, this woman that we're reading about today. Jesus has dealt with sin. Therefore, the woman was not defined by what she had done in the past. She was defined by who she was in relation to Jesus. She was not defined by who she, uh, sorry, by what she had done in the past. She was defined by who she was in relation to Jesus. And that is true for all of us. Going back to the passage, Jesus knew what Simon was thinking, and he asked him this question. He said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And he's right, isn't he? If you're out with a friend and they lend you $10, um, and uh, sometime later you go to pay them back, and they say, ah, don't worry about it, it's only $10, uh, well, you would be grateful. You wouldn't be eternally grateful. I mean, probably you'd forget about it at some point, wouldn't you? But if you had a friend who paid off your mortgage, if they said, look, I know you're really struggling, I've got myself into a really strong financial position, I can afford to do it, it's okay, and they paid off your mortgage, you'd never forget that, would you? You would never forget what that person had done for you. And Jesus is saying the person who has been forgiven much loves much. The person who's been forgiven little loves little. The woman knew that she was a sinner. She knew just how much she had been forgiven, and she demonstrated her great love for Jesus in the most beautiful way. And Jesus compared the way that he had been treated by this woman to the way that he had been treated by Simon the Pharisee. Now, when you go into uh, somebody's home, there are a few polite conventions that most people will adhere to. You know, you'll, you'll normally be offered a seat, 
and uh, something to drink, at least a glass of water, maybe even something to eat. I'm, I'm dreadful with this, actually. I always forget to offer people a drink to the point where if someone's been to the house, Tissa will say, did you offer them a drink? And I'm like, oh, I forgot again. So I'm not a good example of this, but most people, most polite, civilized people uh, will at least offer you uh, a seat and something to drink. Um, in Jesus's culture, there was a bit more to it than that. Uh, when you entered someone's home, you'd be offered water to wash your hands and feet. You'd be greeted with a kiss as a sign of uh, welcome and friendship. And you'd be anointed with oil. Uh, that's oil uh, poured on the head. That, of course, had official uses. And we see in the Old Testament kings being anointed with oil. Uh, but in everyday life, to anoint someone with oil was simply a sign of respect. Well, Simon the Pharisee did none of that. He did none of that for Jesus. Such poor hospitality was a social blunder on a par with a woman letting her down her hair in public. So we've got the outrageous adoration of the sinful woman, but we've also got the outrageous rudeness of Simon the Pharisee. And this is what Jesus said to him. He said, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And then Jesus said this, and this is really significant. He said, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. In other words, She is not forgiven because of her actions. Rather, her actions are a loving response to Jesus, who has already forgiven her sins. And then Jesus adds, but whoever has been forgiven a little, loves little. And it might seem, at first glance, like Jesus is saying, well, this woman, this prostitute, she has been forgiven a lot, and that's why she loves me so much. But you, Simon... You don't have so much to forgive, and that's why uh, you don't love me in quite the same way. And it's true that this, this woman had been forgiven a lot. But did Jesus really think that Simon the Pharisee didn't really have that much sin to forgive? If he was like the other Pharisees that Jesus encountered, he was mean, hard-hearted, unloving, judgmental, proud, and hypocritical. But let's say for argument's sake that he was more moderate, he was more kind-hearted than than most of the other Pharisees. Could it really be said of him that he didn't have all that much to forgive? Of course not. He was a sinful, broken human being, just like everyone else who has ever lived. It's not that he didn't have much sin to forgive, Rather, he couldn't see the sin in his life. He could see everyone else's sin, but not his own. And that's very common. We find it easy to point the finger, but we're not so quick to acknowledge the sin in our own lives. We assume that we need to be forgiven a little, and other people need to be forgiven a lot. But as Christians, we should not be comparing ourselves to other people or judging them. Because the standard of moral perfection is God. And we all fall so far short of God's glory 
that it's not worth trying to make a distinction between different levels of goodness or sinfulness. It's a bit like this. Let's say we all went down to Byron Bay and uh, on a day trip, and we went to the most easterly point in Australia, and we all decided that we were going to attempt to jump across to New Zealand. And we're a competitive bump, so we said, right, we'll measure each person's jump, and we'll see who gets the closest. Well, that would, of course, be a ludicrous thing to do, because compared to the 2,300-odd miles to New Zealand, the difference between the furthest jump and the shortest is going to be completely insignificant. It doesn't matter. And that's how it is with our sin. Each one of us falls so far short of God's glory that we're all in exactly the same situation. We are sinful human beings in need of a saviour to forgive and redeem us. It's true. If you've been forgiven much, you will love much. And if you've been forgiven little, your love for God will correspond with that. You'll love God a little. But seriously, who turns to Christ with only a slight need for forgiveness? You know, a few minor uh, infringements on God's law. No one. No one. We've all got so much in our lives that is not right that God needs to forgive. So really, it just comes down to perspective. If we're like the sinful woman in this passage, and we know that we're sinful, we know that we're really sinful, then we know that we need God's forgiveness, that we're lost without it. So when we repent and receive the assurance of God's forgiveness, we're overcome with love, joy, and gratitude, and we want to serve Jesus wholeheartedly. But if we're like the Pharisee, we don't acknowledge our brokenness and the seriousness of our sin. If everyone else seems so much worse than we are, then either we will never come to Christ in the first place, or we will never love Christ with the kind of life-changing intensity that we see from this woman in the passage. So what does the passage mean in terms of how we live our lives? Well, we're called to be Christ in the world, to show the same love and compassion to to people that Jesus showed uh, to this woman. We should never be too proud or embarrassed to love sinful people because we too are sinful people. Thinking again of the, the three Peruvian bishops and their walk through Soho. Stopping to speak with a sex worker would not be an endorsement of the sex industry, but an affirmation of that person's humanity and an opportunity to proclaim the love of Christ. Sin is sin. We don't brush it under the carpet. Jesus didn't say that the woman's sin was not a serious problem, but that he was and is the solution to that problem. Our mission is to lead people to the one who can forgive sins. Our mission is to lead people to Jesus and even to represent Jesus in this fallen and broken world. We cannot represent Jesus if we look at people and all we see is their sin, whilst conveniently ignoring our own. Or if we worry about what people will think if we associate with certain kinds of people. Or if we 
can't see that we can treat someone with love and respect without endorsing their sin. Or if we patronize people who we see as sinners, and we feel very self-righteous because we've shown them such grace and, and generosity by talking to them, forgetting, of course, that we too are sinners in need of forgiveness. Finally, Jesus uh, turns to the woman. He says, your sins are forgiven. The woman was forgiven because she recognized the magnitude of her sin. She was remorseful and repentant, and she turned to Jesus for forgiveness. None of us can have a life-giving and life-changing relationship with Jesus until we reach that point, until we see our sin for what it is, until we see that, that it puts that barrier between us and God, until we recognize that there's a lot in our lives, no matter who we are, all of us here, there's a lot in our lives that needs to change. We need to reach that point that the sinful woman was at, at some point in our lives and realize, I need God's forgiveness. I need God's forgiveness, and I can only find that through Jesus Christ. In the words of N.T. Wright, true faith is what happens when someone looks at Jesus and discovers God's forgiveness. And the sign and proof of this faith is love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing example of where everyone was frowning and tutting and finger-wagging and uh, you know, thinking of accusations in their mind against Jesus uh, just because of this interaction with this, uh, this woman. Father, we thank you that you, you do not base your relationship with us on what we've done in the past, but in what Jesus has done for us in taking away sins that we might have a right relationship with you. We recognize that um, there's still plenty of stuff in our lives that we need to deal with. And we pray that you help us to, well, that your, your spirit will, will pinpoint the things in our lives that need to change. Help us to be acutely aware of the people that you want us to be and give us the power and the inclination and the uh, perseverance to, to make those changes in our lives so that we can increasingly be more like Jesus. Help us to be people who will not worry about what people think of us, uh, but will be prepared to reach out in amazing ways to all kinds of people, to love them and to help them to see that you love them. Help us to be more like Jesus, and we pray this in his name. Amen.